intro. Hi everybody, it's Toby Miller here. Welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. As when I was chatting to Tom O'Regan yesterday, I'm at this uh, fantastic Lingnan University Center for Cinema Studies inaugural conference in Hong Kong. And I'm very fortunate today to have, is inveigled the word, is that a word? Sounds good. Inveigled into the pod the two people who are the Amy Noss, not at all Grease of this event. And I'll ask them to say their names very quickly. My name's Meta Yord. And mine's Megan Morris. Very good. Just like something out of the two Ronnies. So, <laughs> there we go. And they are professors uh, here at Lingnan. It's not secret, it's a podcast. You can join, you just have to oh, listen. Let, let them talk. Yeah, yeah. And they, they have organized this very special event. And so I asked them to come into the pod today to tell us a bit about what the event is and about their new Center for Cinema Studies and about what they're up to more generally. So in, you've got to, you can share mouthfuls, you know, because we're having lunch while we're doing this. It's mm, a bit of a rush job. And extremely hungry. And they're very hungry. So I'm they're under particularly hungry. A lot of better, pressure. I believe you should get yeah. <laughs> You do know, by the way, that there is a basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers who was born Ron Artest and was extremely violent and was frequently banned for long periods from the game. He was renamed himself Meta World Peace. And so now the commentators say things like, Bryant passes to world peace, world peace scores. And then when they leave him, they say, Meta, tell us what you think about the game today. And then they say, world peace argues. Mm. So anyway. Right. Just giving you time to swallow a bit more. Yeah, okay. Um, so maybe I'll just start by um, talking a little bit about the conference. Mm. So the conference uh, focuses on practice-based film education and um, is the inaugural conference uh, for our new Center for Cinema Studies. And um, the conference, I think one of the things that makes it really quite wonderful is it brings together people really from all over the world. And I think in a Hong Kong context, it brings people to Hong Kong uh, from parts of the world with which Hong Kong doesn't typically interact. So um, in a Hong Kong context, it's you know, quite common to have people coming from the UK and from Australia and maybe also from Europe and from um, mainland China, indeed, India, um, Japan as well. Um, but I don't think that you um, often have people sort of coming from Palestine or from Malta or um, Scotland, Ireland, and, and so on. So I think that that's, that's one of the things that's really quite exciting about what we're trying to do here, because um, I think we're trying to um, show um, that, you know, the approach to, to networking um, that is part of what universities um, inevitably end up doing um, could be more creative and um, just a, bit, a little bit sort of different. Um, I think the approach in, in question, are you still eating? I'm totally You're still eating. eating. Okay. Totally um, I think the approach in question builds a little bit on what we've done in the visual studies department where we have um, set up an artist in residence program where we bring in um, two artists every year, one local and one non-local. And the local one um, is, uh, the attempt there is basically to sort of help local artists get a, get a leg up. So we see this very much as an attempt to create certain opportunities. Um, and then the non-local artists, what we're trying to do again is connect with parts of the world of which Hong Kong hasn't traditionally connected. So I'll just give you one example. Mm -hmm. We had um, Elkana Ongesa here from Kenya. 
um, as a sculptor. And so, you know, the students, I think it was the first time they had met anybody from East Africa. They spent 14 weeks sculpting together with Elkana. One of them went back to Kisi, Kenya, together with Elkana to sculpt over the summer as well. And um, Elkana um, sees, of course, his art practice as being completely sort of connected to community development and so forth. So that's just sort of one example of, of what we've done there um, in terms of networking. And I think that. Um, that's very much part of, of this conference as well. Um, we're, you know, trying to answer all sorts of research questions having to do with things like um, what is, what is the, why do people aspire to create film schools? So we're hearing from people um, who are working in places where there isn't a well-established film school or, um, you know, Film Centre or whatever, so we're hearing from people you know, places like Trinidad and Tobago, but also Malta, um, and in hearing from them, we're trying to understand sort of what, what drives this aspiration for practice-based film education. Then we're also hearing from people who are going to be talking about very well-established conservatoire-style film schools and how they've had to change um, as a result of, of, of certain sort of political historical developments. So we'll be hearing about you know, film schools in the East, the German, well, now German context, right? Um, and so on and so forth. Um, so that's a first go at what we're trying to do. Heavens. Right. right. Now, have <laughs> now you can have your next bite. <laughs> Megan, um, would you like to add something or subtract anything from that? Hmm, no, I can just make some supportive remarks um, <laughs> because this particular conference is shaped very much by a meta-specific vision at the moment and I'm thrilled that it, it is able to be our inaugural event. Um, I'm the Chair Professor of Cultural Studies and so we come to this with, I suppose, our own set of questions and practices. Um, I've just agreed to be Chair of the Inter-Asia Cultural Studies Society and one of the things we've developed over the past 20 years is a, an academic culture of getting people to risk in-depth response to discussion about areas of the world and subjects they know nothing about. Um, so that you get beyond the kind of global survey approach where, uh, you know, everybody presents their unique and particular difference and some kind of surplus value of virtue flows from that. Whereas at a, an Indonesia event, you know, somebody from Korea will need to give an in-depth response to a very erudite paper about particularities of development in Singapore 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you need to produce a common set of questions which in the first place don't actually exist. You have to, you have to do it. So, so this kind of work with um, film training, the education of the filmmaker, the, for me is fascinating in terms of seeing what um, shared methodological and practical problems might emerge over the three days that people weren't aware of in the beginning. So I think with something like this, there's always a danger of a historicist assumption that the world in general within our spheres of difference is all on underway to one place. You know, we all have the problem of, of disillusioned students or we all have the problem of you know, boredom with 
film history. Now, it's already very clear in the last day and a half that that's not the case. I mean, it's totally not an even distribution of those issues. But at the end of the three days, what will people feel has emerged as a shared problem? And that, that to me, is, is what building, um, generally speaking, cultural and visual education in this region is all about. That's the nature of the challenge because, just to end, there's a long point, we are living in a part of the world that now perceives itself as a region when it didn't a year or two ago, uh, a generation or two ago. People in the region were at war. You know, I mean, the idea that that's often invoked now of cultural affinity would have seemed ludicrous in 1950. So, you know, you have you have a, a region emerging. Um, how does it interact with the wider world that Metis talked to us about? How do you take problems developing here to discussions with people from Africa? from the Middle East, indeed Latin America, which, you know, where there are some lines of connection, but relatively faint for the majority of Hong Kong people. I think also yeah. that, um, I mean, part of the aspiration here is to articulate models and articulate the problems and um, articulate the solutions that have been, you know, through in relation to those problems so that they become resources for us here locally. Yeah. The filmmaking milieu, a very, very strong aspiration in terms of um, in terms of our centre is to be helpful to those filmmakers in Hong Kong who we admire. We work very, very closely um, with that milieu and here I think I really need to say a little bit about the nature of Ling Nan as, a, as an institution. I think that's absolutely crucial. Mm. Both Megan and I are extremely fond of um, as are many of our colleagues, it's um, you know the, the level of commitment to this institution is unlike any I've ever seen anywhere else, um, and it has to do with um, the mission of Ling Nan and the kind of story that we're part of, and just you know to kind of encapsulate this, our, mm -hmm. our, our motto is um, learning to serve, serving to learn. So we um, are constantly doing knowledge transfer and because the institution is about creating opportunities for people who never thought that they would have any, the knowledge transfer in question always is made possible by linking with social workers, NGOs and, and, and so forth. So when um, the University Grants Committee requires us to show that we are responsive, responsive to to the needs of Hong Kong and so forth, um, unlike perhaps some of the, or let me rephrase, um, it has not been difficult for Ling Nan to show that we are responsive because the very nature of the institution has always been to be responsive to the immediate environment and community and so forth. So I'll just give you one example. Um, in our, uh, one of our focus areas in the department that I had um, is art and well-being. And so um, we place our students who, um, you know, are doing, among other things, art history okay, and, and, and so on. You just keep talking. I'll okay. get her some more food. One right. minute. Keep going. Um, we, um, we place them, for example, with psychiatric institutions. Um, so there constantly is this kind of knowledge transfer going on. Um, so in terms of um, what we're trying to do for the film community in Hong Kong, the filmmakers who are trying to make something that is um, different from the 
very commercial product. You don't want to uh, be involved in big, expensive co-productions um, with China. Those, those people feel very, very embattled. And thank you. And they are increasingly approaching us. I think Megan and I and all of our colleagues were incredibly touched by the sorts of responses we got when we decided to put an advisory board together for the for the center, it was the the the, the responses were absolutely amazing, um, and also the the level of excitement about this final round table from people who are you know film critics in Hong Kong, film filmmakers and so forth. The level of excitement has been very very high. So um, I think that the the milieu of practitioners actually sees what's happening here as extremely promising, and are already beginning to. Um, feed us ideas about how we could go about um, being, you know, do something valuable in the local context. I'll just again give you one example. So I, I asked Vincent Choi, who is um, a wonderful independent filmmaker in Hong Kong, who um, set up the organization called Ying Yi Chi, which is an organization um, that help, tries to promote independent filmmaking in Hong Kong. And Ying Yi Chi and Vincent um, run also uh, one of the most important festivals in Hong Kong. So I asked Vincent, I said, look, if we're serious about not just being a sort of uh, nasal gazing, navel gazing, inward looking. I like, na <laughs> I like nasal gazing. <laughs> navel picking. <laughs> navel picking, nasal gazing. <laughs> Sorry. This is what happens to chair professors. Boom, boom. <laughs> what, what can we do? He said, um, what, what you guys can do is you can set up a resource center yeah. for independent Chinese cinema. So um, I've just put together a small teaching development grant, um, small, so 250,000 Hong Kong dollars, um, which if we get it, which we probably will, um, will allow us to employ probably one of our graduating PhD students who has been working on um, Asian documentary film festivals and is completely plugged into all of the networks in, in, in mainland China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and so forth, Japan also, um, to start to build this sort of resource center for Chinese independence. And the reason it's so important for us to do something like that is because it um, there aren't a lot of places where it can be done. I mean, we heard um, Yomi talk about the uh, Li Xiangting, um, you know, initiative and so on and so forth. And there are these uh, pockets, places, moments where people start to gather the resources together, but it's always... Um, it's relatively unstable. So the Hong Kong practitioners are saying you have a kind of institutional stability. Your institution has um, shares your vision for what you want to do, which is remarkable. We have senior managers who like our ideas almost always. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, um, that's something that you could do. I was very struck yesterday by your, I guess, acting rector or president or, or vice chancellor, president vice president, PCC, who uh, came along and not only said the things you were meant to say, but actually stayed and listened for a couple oh, of hours oh. and was engaged. Very unusual for these functionaries to show that level of concern and interest and participation. In my well, we're very fortunate because the university is largely being run by economists and business professors. Uh, and it's they who have you know, allowed us to get to this point. I mean, Hedges is a very significant figure in the world of economics. Um, and our previous president, Edward Chen, 
uh, was, I think, decisive for making this space. He was an economist who got into trouble, I think, in the 1960s for saying Marx was wrong, culture drives the economy, not the other way around. Um, and he's always had, actually had a vision about development, uh, political and social development. Um, in Hong Kong where cultural is crucial and it was he who began by establishing a cultural studies department mm -hmm. and then, I was just saying this to Scott, amazingly was completely supportive about adding on a visual studies program, you know, whereas most places in the world might have been trying to eliminate both or fuse them if they couldn't. Um, the, how you could develop two quite different areas that were complementary came out of, you know, what is uh, an ec economic vision in, in this part of the world at the moment, you know, which is, again, why I think it's good to guard against historicism in this time and feel that the dominance of economic discourses or management visions leads everybody to the same place. It just doesn't, doesn't. It's uh, not at all. Mm. And, you know, in terms of the creation of the centre, it was our president and our vice president who kept saying, we should be doing, we should be doing more with film at, at, at Ling yeah. Yan. And then they sort of said it a third time. They yeah. said, well, <laughs> we can, we can run know. with that ball. Um, and the support has been absolutely Incredible, absolutely. Do you incredible. know what their motives are for that? Did um, they see film as an opportunity, or they—it's easy. What I really like about these people is that um, the reasoning is 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 not unlike ours. I mean, there, there is a sincerity and straightforwardness to it. And so, you know, someone like I, I suppose it was coming initially probably from Jesus, who was simply beginning to notice that, oh my goodness, you know, this person is doing, you know, chairs, the committee that looks at all of the grant proposals and sees a fabulous proposal coming from English that is relevant to film and another fabulous one coming from Chinese and, and so forth. And he started to just say, like, wait a minute, we have we have fantastic people doing really interesting things. We need to sort of put all of this together. So it wasn't an economic logic. There's a, a movement in, in the United States, in some law schools, people where law students are taking film classes because the language of today is, is an audiovisual language and not just a, you know, a written one. Yeah, you, you can't work in Lingnan and be that instrumental. You know, okay. like to, the choice to come to this small institution, uh, forego the luxury of having very large postgraduate cohorts, you need to teach undergraduate, everybody teaches, including the president, and they all teach undergraduate. Oh. Uh, you know, you don't make that choice unless you've decided that you prefer an environment where the pursuit of certain ideals and goals mm -hmm. is the most important thing. So, um, no, you know, they, uh, people, the people who have run Lingnan in, in my time and letters are people who have a vision of what would improve things for the Hong Kong society. So that's why they support us. Now, it doesn't, you know, it's not Alice in Wonderland in periods when there's no money. Uh, they would tend to look for other ways to support you. And on the whole, we're not supported by money. We're supported by opportunity exactly. and what you need in practice to make something happen. I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things that um, 
interests me also about the models that we're exploring here, which is, again, you know, you can do something really quite marvellous with not a lot of money. And Lingnan, um, because most of its graduates come from um, not particularly well-off backgrounds, we don't have the same kind of donor base that, you know, some of the other institutions have and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, we can, we can do pretty marvellous things on shoestring budgets. And I think most of the people, one of the, the reasons I love being at, at Big Man is because I am interested in questions of scale and how you turn constraints into opportunities and so on and so forth. And everybody here understands how to do that in practice. And they are interested in doing it as, because they think it's, it's, a, good, it's a good way to operate. Um, and because they've been inspired by, you know, some particular case where it worked really well and so on. But people just have, again, sort of back to what you were saying, Megan, that, you know, you make a choice to come here. And the people who are here could be in lots of other places, many of them, but you make a choice to be here um, because of these things. And so like the Artist in Residence program I was telling you mm -hmm. about, where, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully in the future we're going to be connecting with, um, with the Middle East. Um, Farouk Osuli was supposed to come from Tehran to teach our students about Iranian miniature painting traditions, which again, we just think would be fantastic. Um, but we run that particular program on an absolute shoestring. We get some support from the Lingnan Foundation at Yale, but it's, um, it's, not, it's not massive, and nor do we intend to make it bigger. Because it's now become, it's well established and people are beginning to ask me, so what is the next thing you're going to do to make it bigger? And where we keep saying we have absolutely no intention of making it bigger. We like the fact that it is a small scale operation. We do things on a modest level, but we think that by working that way, we, you know, we achieve some of the things that we think are important. Um, Let me ask you both some slightly different questions to go off on another angle, if that's all right. And I think they relate somewhat to what Needham said about the fact that she's about to take on <clears throat> chairing this Inter-Asia Cultural Studies Society. And uh, namely, if you could tell us, and we've been joined by George Udise, whose name is variously pronounced. I was once at a meeting where I just met George. He and I arrived before everybody else. And I said, George, when people arrive, I realize I'm not really sure how to say your last name. What are the options? He said, I don't care. There were several. Anyway, as people traipsed in, we introduced ourselves. He gave different pronunciations for each person. So there were about five different ways of saying his name modestly by the time that the morning had drawn to a conclusion. But in any event, he's now here because I needed some more food delivered. But uh, here we are in Hong Kong. Uh, a dynamic, immensely famous, relatively small place in terms of space, packed with people, energy, and amazing history over a long period. But we're in a conjuncture where the greater China, as, as it were, is uh, often taken to be the engine, the animator of everything So, uh, in the world. So I'm interested in the situation of cultural studies in Hong Kong, these are the, say, Taiwan and the People's Republic of China. In the Chinese world, you mean? Yeah. Well, it's different in each place, I think. Um, certainly, uh, the issues raised by the People's Republic, um, the mainland economy, are central to Chinese worlds everywhere. But increasingly, they're central to. They're certainly central in Australia. And now, Australia 
so far, you know, it's, it's, it's riding a boom rather than riding it badly, but nevertheless it's not in uh, a sort of economic It hasn't abuse. been thrown to the ground by the horse. No, because <laughs> we have lots of rocks to dig and we can dig rocks for China for the next 50 years. Um, so that centrality is taken for granted everywhere. Um, but I, I think the, the significance of it is different in every mm -hmm. place. I mean, uh, Hong Kong is, is a sort of hot seat uh, at the moment. I mean, as, as uh, Stephen Chan, our, our dean, mentioned yesterday, it's widely um, regarded, rightly or wrongly, uh, the election of the new chief executive. Um, is for some people the moment the tanks arrive actually they're not tanks but we we finally have a chief executive who is no longer beholden to the old british ethic of civil service who was a party member a Sikh clandestine well, party member it's said we we don't know but in a sense the reality doesn't matter there too much mm -hmm. um i think certainly uh, the quality of um open negotiation with Beijing will, will change. So um, it's, it's a heavy time, you know, like if you're scared of actual historical change rather than uh, reading very thick tomes about it, Hong Kong right now is not the place for you. But this, this is a place and time where we don't know what the future will be, but it's major for everybody. And there's lots and lots of opportunities to fight battles that are worthwhile. What are the presidential citizenship status of you both? I'm a permanent resident. Same here. We're permanent residents, so we can live here forever as long as we, if we leave, we come back every three years. Uh, we can vote in the limited area where Hong Kong people can vote. So there was at one period a, a racial qualification to vote, that's no longer the case. Um, but at the moment, under the existing system, Hong Kong citizens can only vote for 20% of what's votable. Everything else is a corporatist uh, process of collective voting. Um, yeah, so we're, we're Hong Kongers. Same here. You have to be here seven years. Seven years. Prove that Hong Kong has been your home continuously for some So, in terms of the tinier question of cultural studies, mm. uh, it's been around for a long time in Taiwan, yeah. uh, for example, yeah. and a fair while here. Has it been around as long in the PRC? Would uh, you say? Yes and no. I mean, the PRC. Uh, <clears throat> I remember a joke that Wong Kui said to me many years ago when he said, oh, I, I, he was at um, uh, Tsinghua University in Beijing, that they would like to develop a program in cultural studies and he should talk to me. And I said, oh, yes, we can do that. Things move very fast. And he said, things move very slowly in the PRC. Uh, and indeed they do. Institutionally, the most... Uh, most vibrant and organised space I know is in Shanghai, the University of Shanghai, where they have proceeded very, very cautiously. 
but have succeeded in pulling off uh, the Inter-Asia Cultural Studies Conference, which they hosted several years ago. So that some of the stroppiest people in uh, the region went there, gave papers, nothing happened. Um, and they've now built a graduate school. So now it, and they're doing various things with rural education. Uh, otherwise, it's a dispersal of particular individuals. Or if people are connected to American colleges, you get that very familiar thing of people who are in conflict and who just basically quote theorists and call that cultural studies. And that exists out there, but we don't have anything to do with it because there's nothing going on there that's of interest to local people. You know, that's very much a cultural sort of a, a prestige capital building game for the Chinese universities, you know, where you kind of collect speeches by famous Western people who write in English. But we have no incentive to do that. Um, so people, interaction in, with PRC at the moment, I think, mostly happens in Chinese. So that every, uh, every two years, or maybe even every summer, there is a Chinese cultural study yeah, in summer camp, the where people yeah, from Taiwan, Hong Kong, and the mainland get together. Okay. And Mandarin, Mandarin will be the language. But that's difficult because the Hong Kong students don't still don't yet necessarily have academically operable Mandarin. Uh, but also the people from the mainland don't have the intellectual background to participate yet. So, you know, as we find with our exchange students, they come along with six credits of Mao Zedong thought, six credits of martial arts, you know, and, and lots and lots of positive social science methods. So to actually get into the same space as the Hong Kong and Taiwan students, it's quite difficult, but that's the project. You know, and people are prepared to spend 20, 30 years because the peer networks that those Chinese students are forming in their unevenly distributed Mandarin, that's what's going to control the future. Not, not us, you know, but we're able to help um, produce an optimal situation for that to develop. Mm. And, you know, I find that, for me, way more exciting than sitting around here, you know, yet another... American fashion thing for an elite private university, you know? I just want to die when I hear that. But yeah. when you when you go in uh, and have to, there's quite challenging circumstances and you've got to make something that makes people feel good here. It's worthwhile. Sure. What about in the, more specifically in cinema studies? This is one of these funny words or terms that's changing. I was very surprised when the Society for Cinema Studies changed its name. It changed the name from the Society for Cinema and Media Studies as if cinema were not a medium. That's fantastic. Who always places for themselves now film and media, again, as if film were not a medium. But in terms of the, your uh, sense of cinema studies, I guess taken to be textual, historical, policy-oriented, but more about rhetorics and meanings and interpretation than it is about... Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Listening to the question. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it seems that it may never come to a conclusion, uh, rather than about audience measurement. 
mm. or about developing new engineering possibilities and so on. Um, where does it stand here, Taiwan, PRC? Um, and are you serving yeah, those sort of interests or are you very, yeah, very more Hong Kong orientation? Um, I, yeah, I don't know how much I, I want to sort of really say about sister institutions um, in Hong Kong. That'll be um, all, thank you. The best some, of the, some of the places where film is, is taught and studied. Or, you know, corporate <laughs> yeah. departments, for example. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the point at Lingnan is to, um, again... I mean, I, I like, you know, working with a kind of a practitioner's agency concept because it's something that's very concrete. Practitioner's, practitioner's agency, reason, what's that? You know, that, well, what, are the, what are the practitioners actually doing? How do they reason about mm -hmm. their crafts? How do they mm -hmm. reason about their skills? Um, how do, do they operate? How do they network with and, and so forth? And, and in an institution like ours, where students come from underprivileged or not particularly privileged backgrounds and, and are um, studying in a language which is not their mother tongue and so on and so forth, talking in those sorts of terms is very helpful. Um, it also happens to be something that I myself am very interested in, but I think that they get a lot more out of that kind of approach um, than they do from um, an exclusive emphasis on um, sort of aesthetics and, 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 and film as text and so forth. So uh, again, uh, maybe the best way to talk about this is, is through an example. Tammy Chung, who's um, Hong Kong's most important documentary filmmaker, will be joining us for the roundtable on Sunday. And um, she, you know, was born in Shanghai, came to Hong Kong at an early age, educated in Canada at Concordia and so forth, set up a um, Chinese documentary film festival while she was at Concordia in Montreal, came to Hong Kong, um, and said, you know, where is the documentary film movie here? We need, I need to do something about this. So she's, you know, been getting arts development grants, and she's got her Chinese documentary film festival, which also brings films from mainland China, Taiwan, and so forth. Um, but what she's um, also started to do is um, uh, get grants that involve partnerships with social workers, and then they take these projects to universities. And so she again is one of our board members. We have collaborated on um, previous occasions, see each other, I suppose, as sort of fellow travellers in a way, and we help each other when we can. Um, and so she came and said, um, we've got a bunch of money for a project together with um, social workers to make short documentary films about Tin Shou Wai, which is just around the corner from us, which has been dubbed um, the City of Sadness. Um, it's where many of the recent um, migrants from mainland China end up. It has a lot of social problems, um, and Ho has made films about wonderful independent filmmakers made films about Tin Show Why. But anyway, the social workers came to the table and said, we immediately said, we want to do this. Um, and the social workers came to the table and said, we want to focus on monopoly capital in Tin Show Why. Because one of the problems that Hong Kong is dealing with right now is that the gap between rich and poor is getting greater all the time. And um, it's getting harder and harder for people actually just to sort of feed themselves. And one of the problems there is rising food costs, and one of the problems there is that um, the cost of food is controlled by Park and Shop and Welcome and so forth. So, the supermarket. So, um, yeah, so they basically said, here's what we want to have as our theme. And then um, we said, great, 
we will find three courses um, in the Center for Cinema Studies and we will create a partnership. So I found, I sent out a general call and um, somebody from translation and somebody from the Chinese department said we're really interested. So my course and these two other courses were then linked to this particular project. Tammy then came in and offered our students, um, I think it was something like 18 hours of documentary film training focusing on these sorts of issues. Um, and then, you know, she'd done something similar with secondary schools and so forth. So, um, you know, I think I think that's a really good example of what we're trying to do with film studies at Lingnan because, um, of course, you know, they need to know something about film form and, of course, they need to know something about um, film distribution. They need to know something about all of these different areas. But what they don't need to know a lot about is a lot of um, theory that... Um, that is really, really hard for them to understand in a language that is not their own, um, and which ultimately takes so long to get your head around that ultimately, you know, it's just not clear what the payoffs are. Um, so I don't know if that helps answer your question. Yes, thank you. That's wonderful. Can I, can I just add one thing there? I mean, that carries through across mm. to cultural studies. I mean, one thing you really notice coming here and teaching in a weak second language is just how rattled with culture-specific polemic so much stuff is. So, for example, when Stephen and I, Stephen Chan and I started teaching a cultural policy course, because that's, that was blue sky in Hong Kong at that time, I couldn't find a single text to yeah. teach that wasn't, let's say, attacking textualism. Now, Chinese literary culture does not have that tradition. It has its own traditions of what you do with text, but the sort of presupposed Levis um, discipline of English object, which is debated, has no objective correlative in, in people's background. Or the sort of ethnography versus other types of study. Um, there's hardly ever been any anthropology or ethnography in Hong Kong historically because the leave system made it impossible. You couldn't leave Hong Kong long enough under the British to ever go anywhere to do any film work. Uh, and similarly on the mainland, um, anthropology and sociology were thriving until the revolution survived to some extent after that, but under the Cultural Revolution were erased because if you had dialectical and historical materialism, you didn't need these bourgeois disciplines. So that starts to matter when a, a young kid who's come out of a maybe not terrific school and is struggling with English has to be given something to read. Mm. You have to be able to drop all that dross of debate mm. that mm. is simply professional or about mm. you know, status in the barbarian sense for Western academics. So Eurocentrism there has got nothing to do with the usual targets of mm. that type of critique. It's, it's Just that the points of reference are irrelevant. So completely the disciplinary mm. presuppositions are not there. So that's why, you know, um, as Madam was suggesting that it, you do have, you make decisions about what is going to be useful in your own I want to share another project with you. Mm -hmm. um, 
This was a service learning project that I did with my non-fiction um, documentary class. So uh, we partnered with the Dragon Garden Charitable Trust. Dragon Garden is an absolutely marvellous um, garden, Chinese garden just down the road from us, which was about to be torn down because uh, it's obviously worth a lot and it had been sold uh, to developers who were going to build another completely, you know, uninteresting high-rise there. Um, the granddaughter of the man who built it, um, who was in, I guess, educated at Stanford, had come back to Hong Kong, said, this is not possible, we can't, we can't do this. You know, one of the buildings was given to my grandmother as a wedding date present and you know we can't do this so she suddenly became basically a heritage activist in Hong Kong and of course the heritage debates are, are, are really really um, very very strong right now in Hong Kong and actually the two people are winning some some two anyway so um, we knew of this garden and um, we knew also about the, sort of the heritage debate. So we partnered with her and so the students in that course made um, documentary films about the garden but also about Blue House um, in, in Wan Chai, uh, which um, involved, as far as the heritage activists were concerned, a completely different approach to what could be done with these sorts of buildings. On one hand you had um, Hong Kong heritage which was private and where access problems were really, really acute and in the other case you had other sorts of issues to deal with. So what happened was that Cynthia, who was absolutely marvellous, came in and she shared all of the research that she had done on heritage questions in Hong Kong. You know, the timeline, this is when such and such a law was introduced, this is when this law was introduced and so mm -hmm. forth. So the, the whole sort of context for trying to understand something about heritage in Hong Kong was basically given to our students. And then, you know, one of our helpers here, Terence, was involved in, in shooting this project. And we had exchange students from France and Copenhagen and so forth. It was absolutely fantastic. It was completely and utterly transforming. And what they had to do was they had to show that they had understood the different documentary types. They had to show that they had thought about ethical issues that were involved. So, for example, the gardener who takes care of Dragon Garden suddenly on camera says that he'd been down in the tomb and you know, and, and so of course they, they couldn't use this and and, and so forth. Um, but you, it was it was fabulous, and I think you know it's just another example of how we try to work here. Um, it's not that we think that the concepts aren't important or that the history isn't important and so forth, but there has to be a way for non-native speakers of English um, into all of this. We have to make it relevant. So I think we're all working all the time with questions of, of, of relevance and also I think something that we do, which is very important, I don't know if you agree with me, Megan, but I think we um, try to show that you can lead a, a, a meaningful life um, without necessarily having loads of money and some of the sort of traditional markers of, of prestige. So, Another course that I teach is the environmental aesthetics course, which involves um, taking people out into nature and so forth. And I know that one of the things that has come out of that is that students have, because we do, you know, we, we read the literature on, on what engaging with nature does in, in terms of health issues, well-being and so forth. And some of the students say, I'm so glad I grew up in a, now I understand why um, 
why I, I love being outside so much. And I'm so glad I grew up in a poor family that didn't have enough money to send me to two kindergartens and to have employ a piano teacher and do all of this additional schooling that gets done in Hong Kong. Instead, they took me hiking. So yeah. this sort of idea that we can try to sort of model um, doing valuable things that, that, that are meaningful to the community but also to your own life. Um, and that don't cost a fortune, and that there are networks that are not prestige networks, um, but driven by, um, by values. Well, I want to thank you both very much. I realize through organizing a conference and people are leaving, that maybe it's almost time for us to toddle off. Is that right? Yes, it is. Have we got it, is. Yes. it is. We started. So, thank you both. That was wonderful. Much appreciated. And I hope that you'll come back to the podcast, both of you, some future moment. Thanks very much. Thank Happy you. days.